in our primitive psychology why we tr- why we want to do the partisan thing. What's important isn't just gathering more info. It's actually being able to shift your psychology. That's the approach we need, as opposed to the partisan approach. We now bring you Enter the Freud. This is for entertainment purposes only. It is no way medical advice. I feel like every good depth psychologist probably has the same experience that I do. You like sit back and you watch the news or you sit back and you watch the left arguing with the right and you think, oh my God, it would be so helpful if they could all like know their own underlying psychology. Like we, what you and me do as therapists all day, every day is we try to help people see that all of everything they're doing in life and all their agendas and they're trying to do this and they're trying to do that and they're arguing with their wife about this or their whatever is all like rooted down in these emotional impulses they have and they don't know it. So they're blindly being compelled by unconscious emotional impulses. And then in therapy, if therapy goes well, we help them see what those are and now they don't need to be so blindly compelled by them. So that's, you always, every good therapist does that. And when I'm watching news or when I'm seeing people argue about politics, I'm like, God, they need to do the same thing that I get my patients to do. But no one ever does it. I was joking with some friends the other day. I was like, some therapist friends. I was like, the the United States government needs like, in addition to like the Department of Education and the Department of Agriculture, they need like a department of like depth psychology so that our country can figure out why the fuck we're actually doing what we're doing. Um you mean and it's ther- kind of frust- Go ther- ahead. therapy for everyone in politics and potentially on the fucking news? <laughs> like all the newscasters, they should definitely. Well, well just everyone, the, the, this, this insight in depth psychology that no one else gets for some reason is that everything you do, including me getting all excited right now, everything everyone does is driven by like deeper emotional things. Like, so what's on the news right now? It's Putin invading Ukraine. And it's so obvious, I think to everyone, but it's for sure obvious to me that Putin is kind of like, he has some insecurity that probably goes back to when he was a child. And he he like feels like he wants to be the big guy on the block. And he's annoyed that the West isn't recognizing that. So he's like, fuck. And like, what stupid little Ukraine thinks they can like leave us like bullshit i'm gonna show everyone and i'm gonna go take them back it's like a emotional it's like a childhood emotional dynamic that's driving putin right now and it's super obvious yeah and if if he could see that then he might be able to like deal with his emotional things as opposed to start a war so that's a dramatic example but like everything is like that and what i've been more interested in especially during covid but really since trump started is how the left and the right, they just are like, they both treat each other like the other person is a f- is like the enemy and, a, and is like completely stupid idiots. They both treat each other that same way. Yeah. And it it's very similar to couples therapy when you have a couple come in and they just treat each other like they're idiots. And you can see there's like emotional roots to both of their um, agendas. And if they can see their emotional roots and kind of have more emotional self-awareness and then compassion for the other person's emotional things like you can actually make progress but if not then time to go to war oh man okay well dave since you have unleashed this this 
this kind of an announcement that that we're going to look at at this in a in a deeper way. How do you have kind of a framework that you're thinking about? Totally. I I've been like thinking about this and I think I got it all laid out, man. All right. All right so here I, here's my sense, here's where I think is the best place to start. Um a little thought experiment. So imagine there's two guys living in a cabin in the woods in the middle of nowhere. All right. And they wake up in the morning and they got no food. So they're like, all right, we got to go get food for the day. Otherwise, we're going to starve to death. So they both go out, spend all day. They come back at night. One dude has a bunch of food. The other dude has no food. Right. What's what's the right thing to do in this moment? That's this is the thought experiment right there. What's the right thing to do? (laughs) And there's only one right answer. And I think very few people would get the right answer. Um, and I'll, I'll, let me explain why I believe that is because the right answer is I have no idea what the right thing to do is. I don't know what the context is. I need way more information about what happened during the day. Thank that's you. the old, that's the only right answer. Yeah, but yeah, for yeah. some reason, no one ever comes to that answer. <laughs> one people would be like, the dude should share the food because it's not fair for the other guy. He doesn't have food. The guy has food. He should share it. And the other person would be like, no way, man. The guy who had the food, like, he went out and worked his ass and he was good at getting the food. And the other person was a dumbass. So he shouldn't have to share it. And if he shares it, he's just going to be enabling the lazy person. And they'll fight about this thing. Yeah. Exactly. And it's like, and both sides, when they're fighting about it, are making this horrible mistake of they don't know the whole story. They don't have the data to make an argument. Okay, so in psychology, we call... My thought experiment, what we call that in psychology is a projective test yep. where you give where you give someone an ambiguous thing and you ask them, what do you think this is? And then they come up with what they think it is and yeah. what they think it is, is not an accurate uh, portrayal of what it is. What they think it is, is an accurate portrayal of their own internal emotional dynamics. So when I say, should the guy share the food or not? If a person was like, yes, he definitely needs to share. What we know right there is that that person has some sort of emotional agenda around sharing. Yeah. And and if I was in therapy with that person, we could figure out what their emotional agenda was. It yeah. would have something to do with their family dynamics when they were a kid and maybe their dad, you know, was didn't share and mom was hurt because dad didn't share and then the kid as a little kid learns to be a really good sharer and then that kid learned that sharing is the key to happiness and so now when he sees a question like this one that i just posed he knows the answers for sure the guy should share yeah but really but he doesn't he's not able to see the whole story all he sees is his mom being sad that dad didn't share and so his his whole worldview is clouded by his early emotional things. And then the same thing goes for both sides. Um, so, okay, so now let me let me go, take it to the next level. Um, a, another good analogy for this is um, raising kids or parenting. So um, imagine there's a, imagine there's a five-year-old kid sitting at the dining room table, coloring a picture. You know, he's drawing or he's coloring, right? Yeah. And then dad says, hey, buddy, it's time to go. Let's go. And the kid's like, no, dad, hold on. Wait, I I just want to finish coloring this peacock. Okay, what should the dad do? 
And it, now this is an even trickier problem. But again, the answer, it, if one side would say, the dad needs to set some boundaries and tell Jimmy, Jimmy, no, we have responsibilities. It's time to go. And if the dad, and the dad does that, and that dad teaches Jimmy that there's rules and there's boundaries and responsibilities. Right. Another person would say, no, the dad needs to let Jimmy finish coloring because we want to like teach Jimmy that his creative needs and his imagination and what he needs to do and, and his self-esteem is more important than rules. Yeah. And again, there's truth to both of these. And 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 most people are going to have a knee-jerk reaction. Either dad should set the boundaries and make Jimmy stop coloring or dad should let Jimmy finish coloring. Both most people are going to have this knee-jerk reaction. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um so I guess let me kind of, uh, and, and, and again, this, whether you let Jimmy keep coloring or whether you tell Jimmy he needs to stop coloring and go again, that has kind of a left versus right thing. The right would tend to be the, the political right would tend to be the people that are like, tell Jimmy to stop coloring. Yep. And the, po the political left would be the tend be the people that tend to say, oh no, let's let Jimmy keep coloring. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And anyone who has a bias one way or another, that bias comes from their emotional stuff and it's not a good accurate portrayal, uh, uh, not a good accurate assessment of the child rearing needs or what's fair in terms of food distribution or what's politically the right thing to do. Um, okay, so I, I guess I kind of want to describe why we humans do this and where this comes from humans evolved uh, over you know at least 700,000 years of being humans or really millions and millions of years if we go back to our animal ancestors and i think especially if you think of animals like imagine um wait wait a, dave, dave sorry to interrupt but when when you say why humans do this can you just help me? Because you, we mentioned two examples. I can see the thread between it, but I just want to make sure yeah. anyone else is, what is the this Good. that humans do? Good. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying. I guess I'm, what I'm describing is there's um, two different styles of thinking. And the thinking, the this that humans do is they, don't, they assume that they know the right answer. And, they, and they, they pick one answer and they jump to it and they think that's the right answer. And that's what people do in politics. It's like, I know that well, Democrats are good and Republicans are bad. Or I know the Republicans are good and Democrats are bad. They assume it and they jump to it and they cling to it and they have like, this emotional attachment to it. Yeah. They're not, we humans by and large are not able, I mean, some of us are, but 90 plus percent, I think, aren't able to kind of like sit back and be like, I don't know which is the best thing for Jimmy. I don't know if the guy should share food or not. I don't know if raising taxes or lowering taxes. I don't know if mandating vaccines or not mandating vaccines. I don't know, whatever, right. whatever the thing is, most people can't sit back and defer judgment until they've gathered sufficiently enough data uh, or looked through the studies or whatever. Um, so, so we jump to conclusions and we jump to conclusions based on our emotional programming from childhood. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I see so, now what you're talking about, but it kind of, I, I know we need to get to this kind of theory of, of why you, you understand people do this, but it, it almost makes me question the more that you, the more information you get to make that decision, 
it's almost like it it you people then believe if suppose that you you're going to make a decision about um one particular topic and then you suppose it's vaccines and so then you read like 15 studies on vaccine efficacy and so then you feel that you're a, you're a really informed person but then are you actually or are you still just now using the information to then back up this potential situation that you're about to describe well totally and that's what people do is most people just go and find the data and find the info to back up what they're doing and that's why what's important isn't just gathering more info it's actually being able to shift your psychology away from this personally your personal biography emotional charge bias and try to move into a more genuinely I, I i use the term dialectical and the dialectical is this idea that there's like a there's a yin and a yang for everything whether to share the food or not share the food or make jimmy let jimmy finish coloring his coloring or make jimmy stop and go there's a yin and a yang to everything and the dialectical worldview gets that each one has value and you kind of have to understand the value for each one and then do your best to figure out in this particular instant is yin or is yang better and and actually how could we try to get the value of yin and the value of yang both and, and so that i call it this dialectical approach that's the approach we need as opposed to the partisan approach okay and I'm, I'm i and my evolutionary thing is i'm trying to describe in our primitive psychology why we why we want to do the partisan thing rather than the dialectical thing um so i'll give this little story and then uh, chime in and tell me what you think about why we do the partisan thing so here's my theory is that for you know millions of years life evolved and i think evolution rewarded um clear decisions and quick action you know if you think of a rabbit sitting in the woods if the rabbit quickly identifies a threat and bolts or if the rabbit quickly identifies good things and stays that that rabbit's going to survive more yeah whereas if the rabbit sees a fox and the rabbit's like okay that fox is a threat but it has really pretty ears and it's not so bad and some other foxes like fo like that rabbit's dead yeah and so this more patient but like dialectical thinking i don't think is helpful for rabbits surviving um and I, I my hunch is i don't it's not even helpful for like most well i, I was gonna say it's maybe not helpful for early human tribal survival but it probably is within the tribe it probably is helpful but still to some degree if there's a snake in the village kill it you know if there's an antelope out there go kill it and eat it if there's an enemy tribe there, either run the fuck away or go kill them. Like a more black and white thinking was probably evolutionarily advantageous. Okay. Probably for, for most of our evolutionary history, I'm guessing. Yep. And then, and then slowly over time, as we're trying to get together in bigger and bigger groups and shit gets more and more complicated, I think that this black and white thinking is getting less and less evolutionary advantageous and so i yeah. sort of think it's an evolutionary challenge that we're trying to move out of our black and white thinking fight or flight survival brain and move more into what i'm calling dialectical thinking where we can more like um 
calmly really try to feel out both sides of every issue. Yeah, um, yeah. That's kind of my theory. Yep. Um, I think that's a sound theory, absolutely. And then what what else are you... Um, do, do you have other types of ideas as to why this is and how... Because I imagine why it why we are thinking in in this kind of a black and white way will somewhat inform us as to a potential um like i i wonder though because it's almost like you're so charged about this subject naturally right and it's like i wonder if as you think about it do you want all of us to do it differently or just embrace the fact that we are um like a, a rabbit surviving like <laughs> <laughs> right yeah and as soon as you ask that question it kind of takes my charge away i'm a little bit like ah oh, actually i don't really care like let's do the rabbit thing <laughs> no, no, cares? no 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 don't i, I shit we should have saved that for the end dude we need yeah. to we need to charge you up and send you out roaring okay well, i think all okay, right here's where i think where my charge comes from. And interesting, what, what you just did to me right here is this depth psychology thing where you're asking me to look into my emotional thing yeah. and figure out what it is. And, I know. And I think that's what needs to happen. And then as soon as you do that, I start to feel into it and not, I lose the charge. I should have now... fucking known. But it's so <laughs> compulsive, right? Like you and I just do this constantly. It's, it's, it's actually become like a secondary response. It's automatic, yep. right? Yep. And and so, all right, I will I will join in with you on this <laughs> on this conquest. I'm joining you and I too believe that everyone should fucking pay very close attention to the this reality and otherwise we will live some kind of like horribly divided fucked up life. Well, my here's my thing, and I, sorry, I just lost you. Just you, you stole the charge away from me. But <laughs> you asked me to do basically what I'm asking the world to do, and so let me just do it here. I I grew up. Uh, I think there's two things. I think I grew up. Well, first is a general thing. So I'm a therapist, and I've actually been training therapists, and I've been teaching therapists for a while, and I, I do this thing with the therapists I'm teaching and training. I've done it to a lot. I've done it to probably over 100 therapists, so I'm, I'm getting some decent um, experimental data on this, and I ask the therapist, why did you become a therapist? And they give me the same, they all give me the same, I wanted to help people, or I find psychology interesting, which is cool. That's great. But then I'm like, all right, now let's figure out what your unconscious reason for becoming a therapist is. And I swear 90% of them, when they were kids in their family, they were the ones that kind of like was sensitive and compassionate to mom, or they were kind of the peacekeeper, or they were kind of the ones who sort of understood everyone's different thing. And somehow most people who became therapists when they were kids, they were like the, the family's little mini therapist when they were like six years old. Yeah. Like almost all therapists were being trained to be a therapist when they were six years old. Yep. And then they go and they become therapists and they think the reason they're becoming a therapist is because they want to help people that they like psychology. But really it's because this emotional impulse to understand or to look deeply or to have compassion or to be empathic was like, they learned to do that as a kid as a way to like, 
be a peacekeeper in the family or to make mom feel better or to have more connection with dad or a sibling or something. Yeah. Okay, so that's true of me. I was a in my family. My mom was depressed. My brother was kind of like, uh, you know, sort of had behavioral problems or was difficult. So I was like, oh, if I be really sympathetic and helpful to mom, that makes her feel better. So I was like mom's little therapist. So I do that thing. But then my brother was really like... Um, uh, he was kind of a fighter and an arguer and, and my parents got divorced and my dad got remarried and there was a lot of like um, fighting. It, our, the family was kind of like a battlefield. And I think what I did was I sat back and looked at each person's thing and I could kind of see and I sort of thought, God, can't they all get out of their stupid thing and like see this higher truth? Or And so it's, I, it sort of was like, in my little kid's brain, my life would have been better if people could have like got out of their agenda and listened to each other and sort of got along. So I think in my brain is like the key to happiness is people can like step outside of their thing. And so I'm now projecting that and channeling that in onto the national stage in politics. I, that's fucking fantastic. It, it's just... I, I'm so. I thought it was gonna take us this entire hour to get you to say that, but I, <laughs> it's amazing that we're we're already here because it it's so in a way it seems so obvious, but it's it doesn't mean that just because now that you're able to reflect that oh yeah the reason why you have this charge where you want the world to be able to to find some harmony is because you seek harmony within every unit. Whether it's just yes. your, your your nuclear family to like the extended group of friends that you have onto the the community you live in into the global stage and on it goes. So right, and that this thing you just sort of you kind of played my therapist there and you helped me see this. I've done that so many times in my life because I've been in therapy and I've done it with clients so much. It's such a familiar thing that it kind of happens quickly. And you see, I started off this podcast episode as I was all charged. It's like, people need to fucking understand this thing. And then as soon as you have me reflect, I'm like, oh, this is just my own childhood emotional drama. And like, if people, if people, if the, if the American political thing gets this or don't, it's actually not really going to affect me that so much. So actually, I don't really care anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right, but so now now that you are somewhat removed from the charge, I, like doesn't that then lend a different type of of almost cognitive ability to to further totally. look at? Like we can still talk about what the fuck we should potentially how we should potentially psychoanalyze everyone in politics. Still I still think they all need a significant amount of therapy and Yep. And then, but now that you've seen the your own outcome, imagine that what the outcome is of Putin. Like, what exactly is going to happen to Putin when he has the same reflective thing that, oh my God, the reason why I must acquire Ukraine is because I come from some impoverished Russian scenario and I climb my way through the KGB and whatever his story is. Yeah. Like, in the end, like, what is what is the the potential and it could be like fuck trying to imagine trump's resolution that one is way too ob obscure 
<laughs> it's like, <laughs> I, I don't know how many days it would take to figure that one out. But like, I, I guess, like, how, how do you now explain this phenomenon now that we've, we've just changed levels? It's like, yeah, we can still talk about the fact that we are fundamentally divided by nature, as you pointed out through evolution. And then as soon as that gives a little flexibility, we get into a different realm. We just change levels to a different type of discussion. Uh, and in there, there are serious limitations and or different. I don't know. What, what did we call this? Well, the the shift that I made when you asked that question is I'm just I'm not so attached to an outcome anymore. I still think everything I was saying was right. Yeah. But now it's like, okay, so Americans are divided left against right. And now from this current place, I'm kind of like, and that's kind of cool. It's sort of a fun game to watch. Yeah. I think what I said is true. I think if we want to get over the partisan divide, we need to do what I was saying. We need to move from black and white thinking into dialectical thinking. Yes. Um, but I don't think me screaming about it is necessarily going to help that happen. <laughs> <laughs> it might because, look, if most people live in this screaming, like, like let's just imagine that 95%, no, let's say that all people, 95% of the time, live in this screaming black and white scenario. And right. then most people change out of that into a dialectical type of thought process but yep. it's only for maybe five percent of the day yeah and potentially one could practice and and have more of a a pathway into this other type of thinking but this is where it gets weird is then there becomes this virtue signaling of of oh I spend 5% of my day in this better way of thinking, <laughs> right? Which, which is unbelievably a sign that you are in the black and white thinking. If, if, if you're bragging about how much time you spent, then for sure it is. <laughs> right? It, it yeah. immediately does. But so I don't mean, to, I'm sorry to, to um, derail this, but then I, I guess it, I just immediately start thinking of, well, if if you can transition out of this kind of us versus them, black and white mentality, tribalism that people are calling it, into yep. a, a a more of a conversational style, you, you know how Ken Wilber then, he like someone who brags about being in a different state, by the way, he's yep. he thinks that like if you try hard enough, you'll get to this universal stage where you're where all you care about is all beings in encased in this love project headed yep. towards the the equality of some type of universal equality. Yep. And, Which I and, think is true, but it is weird how he brags about it. Like you were saying, it's kind of a that's sort of a paradox there. <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> a red flag. Like like it, it, it's like. The guy's obviously brilliant. He maps it out. He can see the whole thing. He clearly spends some percentage of his time in this in this state. But it's so strange. It's almost like, like the further you go towards a real universal consciousness, then it's very hard to brag from that place. But then, you know, I don't really want to just distract into the idea that that bragging versus not bragging is even significant right yeah 
But no, I, when I first started off, I was in a more arrogant state of mind of like the stupid left and the right, they neither of them get this dialectical thinking and I'm in a dialectical thinking and therefore I'm smarter and better than the people who are arguing left versus right. Uh, and then when you made this shift, when you said, Dave, why are you have so much charge around this? And I sort of reflected, I'm like, oh, uh, it's because of my own childhood things. And now I don't really feel so superior to the people on the left and the right. Because I was kind of just doing the same thing. I was like, no, you guys are both wrong. I'm right now, you know. Right. Which, um, <laughs> what is that position, though? Because you're not left or right, but you're equally what? You're, you're just like intellectually superior. Is that like, I don't know, even know what to call this. There is a different place you can arrive at. It's almost like a triangle, though, because you're not any higher, you, right? Like once you become in a place where you're, you're viciously condemning those of the right or the left, but you aren't right or left, well, you're just in the third scenario. And th there's probably four or five or a star or a hundred different scenarios one could arrive at. Yeah. Well, there is something even just... I almost want to say it's like a mathematical or a not quite mathematical thing. But if, you know, if people are at a lower level and they're arguing red, blue, red, blue, red, blue, and a third person comes along and is like metaphorically is higher than them. Like imagine even just like a person comes in a helicopter and looks down and that person can see more and they can see the value of the red and they can see the value of the blue and they're kind of like, well, sometimes red is good and sometimes blue is good. And there's some ways in which they could work together. Like that person that's at a higher level does have a, a higher, um, a more complex or more complete picture of things. Yep. And if, and if we're going to solve a problem, we want to have that person's perspective is going to be more helpful to solve a problem than just the guys yelling red versus blue. Right. All right. See, what you did right there was it was inclusive right? You're not saying that perspective is the better perspective. You said, I don't know if you were conscious of that, but you said we should include that in yeah, this yeah, discussion, right? right? And right. in that sense- Because yeah, that person up there, they can see the value of the red and the value of the blue, and they want to include the value, the positives of both of them. Yes, exactly. Rather than from this perspective, condemning the red or the blue. No, no. Right. No, the blue, you're stupid, and the red, you're stupid because of this, which is yep. what, what most critics do. Like most, yes, totally. Most of us, once we get into that critical state, it, which it's really funny, the meta experience right now of me poking and judging those who, critic, those who are critics, I am in the position of the critic making, right. condemning them. Right. That's, that's always the paradox. Okay, let's go back and apply this to some of our examples. Yeah, let's um, go. Okay, so the so the two guys in the cabin in the woods, um, they go off, they come back. One has a lot of food, the other doesn't. Um, okay, now we have to fill in the context, and there's two different stories here. the 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 story where the liberal is right is this: in the morning, the guys went off and they agreed. All right, George, you go to the east. You look for food in the east. Steve, I'll go and I'll look for food in the west. And they both went. They worked equally hard. But all the food happened to be over in the West. So Steve brought all the food. George came back. They had worked equally hard. Then obviously now Steve needs to share the food with George because he didn't work any harder for it. He just, you know, it just was dumb luck that he went West and George went East. And so 
Clearly now he needs to share the food because going west for Steve was a privilege or was an advantage. And if Steve doesn't share, he's going to eat more food. And the next day, George is going to be starving. And now Steve already knows where the food is. And now Steve is going to come back with even more food. And George will even be less. And it'll like snowball in the bad way if we just did free market capitalism (laughs) survival of the fittest thing. Yeah, yeah. So in so in that scenario, the liberal view is the correct view. Now let's say the opposite. Here's the version where the conservative view is the correct view. They wake up in the morning, they go out, and they're like, all right, let's go get food, meet back here at night. Okay, George goes and um, gets distracted, and he sits down, and he starts fantasizing about this super hot chick that he saw, and so he starts masturbating, <laughs> and then he falls asleep, and then he wakes up and then he starts looking at pictures of porn on his phone and then he masturbates again and then falls asleep again and then time's flown by and he's like, oh shit, I hope Steve got some food and he goes back into the cabin. And like all he did was like look at porn and masturbate all day. Steve, <laughs> on the other hand, went out and busted his ass and was chasing and crawling through caves and got all cut up and like worked his ass off to get food and comes back. Yeah. In that case... If Steve shares food with George, George is going to do the same shit again tomorrow, you know? (laughs) Yes. And if Steve doesn't share with George, and Steve's like, what the fuck did you do all day, George? Dude, you need to fucking work tomorrow. And tomorrow, go and fucking find some actual food. And then George will be starving the next day. And that might actually motivate him to go actually work and find some food the next morning. So in that circumstance, Steve shouldn't share the fucking food with him, right? Right. Okay. Okay, so those are the two things, A and B. A is the the, uh, liberal, B is the conservative. Now let's bring this dialectical thing into it. Perfect, yeah. And and actually, I think that the dialectical person wouldn't just see the context and see what was right from the liberal or the conservative side, but actually would be able to even come up with even better things. Like, okay, so A. All right, guys, so you went out... um, and Steve went west, George went east, all of who was west. So yeah, Steve, you should share the food. And tomorrow, like, what could we do to, like, make this even better? Like, both of you guys go west and one go north and one go south, northwest and southwest. And look, or maybe, George, you should keep going east, even though it didn't seem like there's food. Maybe if you go a little farther and, like, you know that Steve's going to, like, share his food with you. So now, Steve, go gather food and, George, start looking for new things or whatever. And so you can see how this other different sense, it's like, it can even get better. And then same thing in the other one. Maybe maybe um, in the conservative one, Steve does share a little bit of food with George. But it's like, but George, dude, you can't be like just looking at porn and masturbating all day. You got to like do a thing. So I'm going to share with you as long as you like blah, blah, blah and do this and do that. And then the next day, Steve sees if George actually did it. And if not... Maybe Steve is going to have to like give him less and less food or maybe just give him a few little crumbs or whatever. You know, you can start to be thoughtful about these things. The image I had is like going from two dimensional to three dimensional is kind of like what you were going. Is it sort of like the the red versus blue are sort of stuck on a flat two dimensional reality. And then when this thing comes in, it it opens up to three dimensional. Yeah, I I like that. And I don't I didn't even think of it in three dimensional, but it certainly adds more of this context that you were seeing in the beginning, because I like your thought experiment to open this when you said, hey, what's the right answer? And and as you, you point out, it was a perfect trap because everyone's mind chose one or the other. Right. 
Which right. is, again, it's, it kind of has this two-dimensional thing. Oh, yeah. And, and people typically aren't going to go into a three-dimensional, I'm speaking metaphorically, into the three-dimensional thing. Yeah, that, that's right. And so I suppose it, in your vision is this kind of like a journey where, where we as modern humans, alive today, right now, like have this opportunity to become people who think in a kind of a secondary method of, is that kind of your vision? Totally. I think, yeah, that's a good way of putting it is that evolutionarily because of survival, we're kind of typically trapped in 2d black and white thinking. Yeah. But there's a, there's a thing we can do. And it's sort of like we were given a brain that has the capacity to get out of 2D and go into 3D. But I think when things get stressful or scary, like especially COVID, and I think the liberals got really scared when Trump got elected. And I don't blame them because Trump is a freaking maniac. It like scared people and you get scared back down into 2D. Yeah. And then it just becomes this war of us against them. Yeah, yeah. It's so strange because... Like, okay, in your vision, even though I know that this vision is, is mostly unconscious, like a, as we start to peer into it, do you, do you think it's okay that we exist the majority of our time in this flattened existence of, mm-hmm. of us versus them, black and white, whatever we're calling it, right? Um, yeah. And, and I, I mean, like, how much? Do you, sorry. Yeah, that, it's a good question. I guess there's times when that black and white thinking is necessary, you know? And and maybe a lot of the time you can just stay in black and white thinking. I don't know, because, you know, wake up, take a shower, make food, go to work, drive, don't, you know, red light stop, green light go, don't crash into that guy. Maybe most of the time you can just kind of stay in more simplistic thinking and and maybe that's better for in terms of energy conservation you don't need to think <laughs> complexly about the meaning of the stoplight you know it's just like yeah. it's fucking red stop do, it's that hey, simple do, do you remember um like this is a perfect example do you remember i i don't know if you were there no maybe you weren't but i remember being with rich and heidi and their kid hannah now rich is one of the coolest guys ever i love that guy and as they attempted to raise their child in this kind of like ultimately super aware state, they were they were deferring to the child frequently in in what they would possibly do. And what in this part that I participated in was they asked a four year old child if she wanted to cross the street. And and the, uh, that question was so overwhelming to this child that that she couldn't answer the question and they would just tell her. They would inform her about the light that was changing. Yes. The stoplight. Yes. And Heidi would say, okay, the the light's green. Do you want to go? And and then the the kid was like, Oh, I don't know if I want to go. Um like like, oh, okay, we're gonna wait. Oh, the light's turning yellow now. Oh, oh, now it's red. We're gonna have to wait. And they they sat there for like four changes of the light. And then finally, <laughs> I just I was like, dude, you guys are you guys are doing some interesting training. I'm fucking out of here. And I just walked yep. on. But like that kind of a um an attempt to move towards like a conditioned self that would have this ability, it's it's hard to do. And I watched people try to do it in the, in their kid, but apparently you can't do this for a four-year-old in that way. 
Right, totally. And you, yeah, you see that a lot in raising of kids now is that people, and it's typically back to my um, left, right thing. It's typically on the left side where people are trying to be too inclusive or give the kid too much complexity or give the kid too much. And it, 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 back to my Jimmy coloring, that parenting, they'd let Jimmy color as long as Jimmy needs to color. Yes. You know? They wouldn't be like, Jimmy, stop calling. We got to go now. They wouldn't do that thing. And so it's 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 not dialectical in the sense that they're not leaving room for the, Jimmy, stop calling. We're going now. Yeah, yeah. I Like, I guess now that you've shifted to the second example, do, do you have an idea of um, how one would would potentially condition oneself now that they're grown up? Because I imagine most people listening to this are grown up and then you'd be like, hey, what are these guys talking about? Is this something one should even attempt to do? Yes, I, told, I have a strong feeling about this. Yes, we all need to do this. We all need to attempt to get up to dialectical thinking. So I think step one is know that you do, all of us are doing black and white things. So just know that you are doing it. You did it today. You did it yesterday. You're going to do it tomorrow. And then attempt to find what your emotional charge agenda is, where it comes from and how it keeps you blinded for like everything is yin and yang. There's like, there's a, there's a, um, a, a rationale for both sides of every question. And if you can only see one, there's a reason you're blinded to the other one. And so come up with what's your emotional agenda, why you can only see that one. Um, and then hopefully, if you can feel what your emotional agenda is, kind of have compassion for yourself for having that agenda, imagine it going the way you needed it. Hopefully that kind of loosens it up so that you can see what the rationale is for the opposite side. Oh, dude. Okay. I'm sold uh, obviously on this. And, and like, once you can see the opposite side, then I'm just, I'm just still going with this kind of direction. What do you think once you see the other side, like, is that enough to just like, because obviously it will relax your own charge about the issue. And then, um, I I don't even know if there is a way to then sequentially say after that happens, then you could do. Yeah, I don't know what's next, uh, right? Because I, I don't. I think that we just need to work on that step. Because even I think I'm quite good at this, and I'm I'm not good at this most of the time. I'm good at this some of the time, but a lot of time I can't do this. Get out of my own emotional agenda and see both sides of the picture. Like I've slipped back into the black and white thinking all the time. Yeah. So I think all of us just need to work to get better and so we can flip up out of black and white thinking quickly and easily whenever we need to. Hey, look, I think that would be awesome if j- just to accept that that would be good enough. And it's like, because unlike Wilbur, I don't think that, oh, once you can do this into dialectical thinking, then you immediately must move on to the next thing which is right, like yeah. the the super dialect and the and then the hyper <laughs> and then the mega like, like 
<laughs> right? Well, I can I'm not quite as advanced as Wilbur. I can just barely start to arrive at dialectical thinking. I haven't mastered that one yet. So I'll 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 start thinking about what's next after I've mastered dialectical thinking. I'm not there yet. I I wonder if you can even master it. Well, okay, obviously the fact that you're able to reflect on how challenging it is shows that you're you at least spend time there rather than some diluted thing of haha you have reached the enlightened state that that's right. what's that's what's so promised from the east is that with enough practice you would potentially attain this as a permanent characteristic and then you can get mm-hmm. a tattoo that says fucking <laughs> woke enlightened motherfucker right like i'm dialectical as fuck <laughs> <laughs> 